Welcome to the Brazilians Podcast, Episode 4, with Dr. Gav Schneider talking COVID-19. I'm your host, Joe Saunders. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Brazilians Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Risk to Solution Group CEO and Risk Management Institute of Australia Risk Consultant of the Year, Dr. Gabrielle Schneider. Again on the show, uh, this time we are talking about COVID-19, coronavirus, and uh, the risks and opportunities presented by this unprecedented threat, uh, this unprecedented situation. And it's a it's a very interesting conversation, uh, getting Dr. Gav's viewpoint. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Gav Schneider. I'm here with Dr. Gav Schneider, and uh, what a time to talk about risk and opportunity in the world as we come to terms with COVID-19. Thanks for joining us, Gav. Thanks, Joe. Uh, you, at the time of recording, uh, yesterday you recorded a webinar or uh, went live with a webinar uh, on COVID-19 called Risk and Opportunity. And I thought that was quite interesting uh, because everyone else is currently talking about the risk of COVID, the threat, uh, the, the impact it's going to have, and everything's negative. Uh, and I, I was quite interested in your take that there are opportunities here for growth and for improvement. And uh, I'd really like to explore that on the podcast. Do you have any uh, any opening thoughts on... on uh, why you see this as an opportunity? Sure, Joe, and I think we'll explore that a lot as we work through uh, the different different aspects of the content. I think fundamentally, the challenge we've got, and this is this is this is the hard part, and I, I think it's important for it not to get confused with the medical response and the ability to minimise the medical impact. As you know, we have a medical division that provides nurses, doctors, and paramedics. That's very busy and in many cases on the front line of, of, of fighting this challenge. But on the flip side of all of this, one of the challenges we've got in most first world countries is that we've really had it pretty good for the last while, particularly in Australia. And when disruption and change like this comes, while it's exceptionally unsettling and it's very difficult to work through, it also creates the opportunity for reflection, consideration, and actually testing our own systems, processes, and abilities through challenging times. Out of that, we should come out stronger if we do it properly. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I, I think um, you know, throughout history, we've seen every challenge uh, sees a rebound at the end, um, but it can be hard to uh, to foresee that or to at least to, uh, uh, to, to be optimistic about that when you're in the, the midst of the battle, as it were. So... Let's just have a quick chat about uh, the way the world is looking at things at the moment. Uh, you mentioned yesterday in the, on the webinar about the news cycle. Uh, what impact do you think that was having on business? So I, I think there's significant challenges. We've now really passed the challenge of this being simply a medical and health pandemic to now having to deal with the effects of the fear-based messaging that's been driven and the consistent uh, reminders coming in from mass media, social media and everywhere else that we're actually under attack and under threat and there's no certainty. And that that has caused a lot of destabilization in the way people think, feel and act. And it's caused some pretty poor decision-making 
from a lot of business leaders and businesses that we've been talking to. And it's a, it is a significant challenge when we're dealing with something we haven't dealt with before. But the, the reality is pandemics are not a new issue. And, you know, will, will this end? Yes, it will. You know, and there's several logical pathways as to how uh, e either the disease will die itself, we will get vaccinations, humans will get infected and recover. The challenge at the moment obviously is to minimize the casualty rate and the impact. But what we're doing in the meanwhile, by fueling the fear and providing uh, inefficient and mixed messaging is we're, we're actually creating more panic and more fear. And one just has to look at stock markets on a, on a macro level to see the economic impacts, which is arguably far less than what's required based on the number of infected people and the impact to the health systems as one side. And then on a micro level, one just has to look at people punching, punching each other in supermarkets over toilet paper. Yeah, just this morning, I think there's a story of a, a, a child who was trampled uh, at the opening of a shopping center uh, over toilet paper. I mean, hmm. you, you, you think we're, uh, we, we haven't, haven't really evolved far enough for this particular challenge. It's, uh, it, is, it is interesting to see. And, and as you said, it, the, the level of fear is not proportionate to the actual threat of or the actual health threat. Uh, and uh, it is interesting to see how this evolves that sometimes our greatest risk are actually coming from people's reaction rather than the threat itself. Absolutely. And this is part of the challenge. You know, if we look at how this works, um, as you know, our business has been a long-term provider for the World Health Organization have supported a lot of their learning and development initiatives in the last few years. Uh, you know, the WHO will send out uh, guidance that will be received by both individuals and governments and in Australia, you know, you've almost got a, a more difficult structure because you've got the federal government receiving information and state governments receiving information and then translating that into what it means for them and providing additional instructions back to the public. But because of this highly networked world we're in, the public is not waiting to hear from federal and state governments or the WHO. The public is constantly getting fed by data and information coming in from all the other sources. And as we've discussed in other, on other occasions, part of the challenge now is that we actually have a distrust, or even if it's not distrust, we have a tendency to overvalue information that comes to us via social media versus information that comes to us through traditional channels or via our leadership. And as such, you know, messages that go viral on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, tend to have much more impact than what a politician is telling us to do, which is part of what's leading to the confusion in the way people and businesses are responding. Yeah, uh, one of the things you touched on yesterday uh, in the webinar was the concept of shared responsibility and that uh, we have to accept responsibility for managing this at all levels. Do you just want to unpack that a little bit as to, as to what that means at all levels? Perfect. So I think just to get a bit of clarity I see four levels, so there's arguably many, many more, and we'll talk that through from different perspectives. But from a generic societal perspective, you know, we could look at individuals, we could look at groups or teams, we could look at businesses or organizations, and then we could look at the society as a whole. Part of the challenge we've got is, particularly in most first world countries uh, and in most bigger businesses, the real first line are the individuals. 
And the first line traditionally has been disempowered. In fact, if we look at most risk and governance frameworks, they actually talk about the first line as being the line that supervisors and managers apply in terms of mitigating negative risks. So in, in this case, you know, where we're really asking people to do what's necessary, and we can talk about that in more depth, but let's just look at the health side of it. We're asking people to minimize uh, contact, to wash their hands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we can't control that. We, have, we, we can only provide guidance and try and get people to do it. Even if we're asking people to self-quarantine, you know, it's, it's almost going to be an impossible process to police that effectively. So we, one of the challenges we've got in places like Australia is we're not used to empowering the individual. We're used to business and government telling people what to do. And when we get messages from those structures that seem different, it creates confusion. So I'll give you an example. When we get a message from federal government that says uh, we're not shutting down schools, yeah, but somebody has been told don't come into work because it's too dangerous, it, it seems to be disjoined. So one of the challenges we've got now is that I don't think many business leaders have truly thought through uh, productivity output, secondary risks around making blanket decisions to have people work from home or to not see clients face to face, particularly those who did it a few weeks ago. You know, it really wasn't smart risk decision making, it was more adverse knee-jerk response. Which, which obviously in many cases will bring additional risk, you know. Uh, so shared responsibility is, is the understanding that we all have a part to play in making sure we get through COVID as effectively as possible. It's not just the government's problem. It's not just the health department's problems. It's not just businesses' problem. And it's not individuals' problems. It's all of ours. And if we all don't do our part, potentially the impacts will be much worse than if we all did stand up. <laughs> And uh, just to close off on that one, this is a problem in terms of messaging because there's very little shared responsibility messaging and there's mainly fear-driven messaging that's happening, which you know, creates significant confusion. Yeah, the, uh, the fear-driven messaging, I think, is, is causing the, the biggest issues on the front lines at the moment, uh, as we see, as we alluded to in the, the shopping centres and also the share market. Uh, and that, that leads into the, the idea of managing the uncertainty because uh, you know, most of that fear is coming from the uncertainty of the future, um, both financially as also in terms of just survivability. Uh, and uh, I know you're, you're fond of talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the, the, important to, uh, the importance of building resilience at all levels. And how do you see that manifesting at the moment? So I think part of the problem, and let's just have a quick discussion about some of these terms you know, duty of care, compliance, resilience, pre-resilience, business continuity, uh, pandemic planning. These are all services and requests that we've had from numerous clients over the last while. And it just seems like people are unaware of the actual problems we're trying to solve. And rather, they're just trying to do something. Mm -hmm. Now, this, this makes a lot of sense based on what we've learned about human psychology and behavior, both on an individual and then on a, a group or social level, where when, we, when we're faced with uncertainty, we, we link to the closest associated solution or understanding point that comes into play. So if I'm already in survival response, and even though I rationally know I shouldn't need toilet paper for a respiratory disease, when I keep getting message that there's scarcity, my survival instinct will tell me I have to go out and get toilet paper, even though I know I don't need it. 
And if, for example, businesses like businesses keep telling you work from home, don't come into the office, instantly I'm associating the office as a risky place, as opposed to actually understanding it's got nothing to do really with the office as a risky place, it's got to do with places where we group people. And in some cases, you know, people who, for example, haven't been going into offices, but are still actively using public transport because many people have no choice um, and conducting their lives as normal other than not going into the office. Uh, arguably, their, their risks haven't really reduced much, bearing in mind the office itself is a controlled environment that can be cleaned and sanitized regularly and people can be sent home. So th there's actually an alternative argument that potentially, you know, sometimes uh, when, when, when we reach a decision that we think protects the business, all we do is push the risks out to other areas. And when it comes to uncertainty, which is the, the direct nature of the question you asked, humans are wired for homeostasis, right? We want to get to a point of balance, a point of equilibrium. And for the most part, people who live in first world countries are in that equilibrium every day. Even if I don't like the job I do, if I don't like uh, you know, my boss, if I'm earning enough money that I enjoy myself over the weekends, I'm probably in a state of equilibrium or homeostasis. Now what we've done is we've shaken everything up and we've, if, you know, we've destroyed that balance for most people and most businesses. And it's not the government's fault, but you know, from their perspective, they're trying to make sure the health system can cope, trying to reduce the number of overall fatalities we, we, are, we may have and then try and prop up the economy. The challenges we've got is while there is no perfect solution, there are definitely significant gaps that are evolving out of the different responses. But one example, when you send people home and you tell them they're not, they shouldn't interact with anybody else, uh, this might be a good chance, particularly for people who aren't sick, to be doing home renovations and getting their houses fixed and all these sort of things because they're there to supervise workers. But if the perception is everybody who comes near me is dangerous, we're not gonna engage those services. So we're gonna see, and we, we are seeing already, all these small businesses really starting to panic because in terms of government stimulus they don't have payrolls many of them so there's most no benefit and then in terms of um, actual business people aren't using them calling them so it's creating even more panic and this is the problem the, the way humans are wired based on our own social survival mechanisms is that most of the decisions we make are based on biases and heuristics okay, so default settings or inbuilt behavioral considerations that happen without us thinking. And one of those is based on the concept of harm. So if we think something will hurt us, I will instantly be interested in it and focus on it. And rational thinking actually shuts down once I become adrenalized and stressed. And we're seeing that happen at an epic level across society at the moment, not just in Australia, but globally. And part of the challenge we've got is to try and slow down the adrenal response, otherwise we first and foremost are gonna have almost uncontrollable second and third tier effects. And I'll give you but one example of that. You know, if we're telling people to work from home and we look at domestic violence statistics and occupational violence statistics, you know, we're potentially setting some people up to, to really have a bad time. Uh, we also know that the majority of safety incidents actually happen at home. So now we're telling people work from home but we want you to be safe as well. So there's considerations around there. But in terms of managing uncertainty what we, and managing this group or herd, group think or herd mentality, 
probably one of the key things we have to concentrate on doing is reminding everybody that in a state of chaos, the state of chaos is actually defined by I have no start point and I have no end point. So it's hard to orientate and figure our way through. We need to start focusing on the fact that we already have a start point. We also already have an end point. We know at some point this will pass. What we don't have are the absolute pieces in the middle of what we need to do to speed that up holistically. Because our default operating framework at the moment can be defined as complexity, which is how the fourth industrial revolution is described, complexity itself is really defined as we have a start point and an end point, but we have so many intersecting systems between that start and end point that we don't understand or can't foresee the impact of anything that may affect those interconnected pieces and what that impact may cause. So when we look at coronavirus and what we're seeing, we tell people to work from home. We're not thinking about the second, third and fourth tier effects because in many cases we actually don't know or it's too much cognitive load for us to do in one go. So in terms of managing the uncertainty, this is where I foresee the role of business leaders, uh, community leaders, uh, those who are in non-political positions who are not going to be judged for every statement they make. This is where they have to step up. Yeah, this is where we need to be setting the benchmark to be you know, the superheroes and the stabilizers in, in a state that's deemed to be uncertain, even though it's actually not that uncertain. We have a, really, a fair amount of clarity that we will get through it. We just don't know exactly how. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to uh, go to some of the questions that have been either sent in or uh, were asked during the uh, the webinar, but not uh, we didn't get a chance to get to uh, yesterday. Uh, so uh, we, we did put a call out for anyone that had questions for you, and a few have come through, so thank you for those. Uh, one of the questions was about uh, how do we calm down people, uh, whether it be you know, people in our society or whether it be people in our workforce that are concerned, scared, panicked, potentially adrenalized? Excellent. Great question, Joe. And you being an expert in aggression management and violence reduction, know the worst way to calm somebody down is to tell them to calm down. Exactly. Which we, con see, we, we, we constantly see happening. So we see this narrative of things are getting worse, things are getting worse. We don't know how bad they're going to get over to stay calm. Yeah. So there's no, there's no real understanding of the impact of these messages because they're not working. So the ability to stay calm comes from certainty. So what we have to do is we have to work to create small pockets of certainty for our people. And, and again, this can't be done only at a government level. It has to be done at every level of leadership through our entire society. And pockets that feel stable, understand what's happening, are less likely to be panicky. The challenge we've got now, and it's, it's certainly evolving in Australia, where we've got workers, for example, who uh, might be uh, small part-time contractors or aren't on fixed wages who now go, well, how am I going to survive? Then we've got small businesses who might go, hold on, nobody's buying from me. How am I going to survive? And then you've got big business sort of going, well, we'll just shut the doors for a few weeks and see what happens. Uh, we, we, we've got these incongruences that are happening. That's certainly creating a challenge. So in terms of calming people down, what we have to do is have consistent leadership and effective messaging. We also need to, need to teach people to self-manage. So on that note, like as you know, Joe, our online academy, we've got a course called uh, Stressful Situation Response. I would urge everybody to jump on and do that program. 
right now there's the opportunity to learn the tools that will enable you to manage your own adrenal response and function more effectively. It's critical. If we can't do it at an individual level, you know, the concept of shared responsibility becomes very hard to implement. Uh, we could talk about that one for a lot more, Joe, but that probably covers off that question. Special announcement from R2S Academy. While the threat of COVID-19 still dominates the news, we've decided to make our online stressful situation response program available at an 80% discounted rate for the foreseeable future. So the SSR course, the stressful situation response course that Dr. Gav was just referring to is now available for just $9.95. You can learn how to manage your adrenal response effectively in stressful situations through a convenient online course. That is available now for the foreseeable future. To take advantage of this offer, head over to www.r2s.academy. R, the number two, s.academy. Uh, there, was a, there was a question also about the, the gap between uh, a compliance-driven approach to COVID and an actual risk management approach. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. So let's just take a second to understand what we mean by risk management. So the concept of risk, and as you know, risk is defined as uh, the effect of uncertainty or uncertainty on objectives. So we're really looking at what is our objective and how does uncertainty impact it when we're looking at risk. And that, that's a, you know, a thought-driven process. And what we're seeing now is very little thought behind decisions. We're more seeing copycat effect, where I see somebody else do it and I go, okay, I better do that. Now, there is a challenge with this because if we look at, for example, workplace health and safety legislation, WHS legislation says to us, we must be applying what is reasonably practicable okay, based on the ability to minimize foreseeable harm. So if I tell somebody to work at home, just as but one example, have I actually thought through the reality of managing foreseeable risk based on reasonably practicable measures. So, you know, part of what we got to do going back to shared responsibility is we, we, we need to trust people to actually do a decent home assessment and tell us that the safe, the, the working from home is safe. And it doesn't actually help us if people will, you know, pretend to be working from home, but they're actually sitting in coffee shops. Uh, so when we look at uh, risk-based decision-making, it is basically the process of collecting as much data as possible and making the best possible decision we can with the available data on a process of analyzing what has happened before, what is happening now, and what's likely to happen in the future, as we refer to insight, hindsight, and foresight. The challenge we've got fundamentally now, and we, you know, in terms of our own consulting products, have really divided them up into three layers. We, we are in a society that does require us to meet significant legislative and compliance-based requirements. We found many of the clients contacting us and people we're talking to haven't even addressed the most basic compliance issues around decisions that they've made. So things like a risk assessment for people working at home, things like acknowledging uh, that if I am sick, I won't come into work or I'll self-quarantine. We, we assume people will do the right thing, but drawing on the research of Dan Ariely and Daniel Kahneman, well-known behavioral economists, we found that under, under stress, particularly decision-making is usually anything but rational, which we're also seeing manifest. So the compliance piece should be the starting point. We then talk about the idea of moving from compliance to resilience. 
which is not just how do I do what I have to do, but how do I make sure I'm going to be able to bounce back afterwards to at least get to the same state I was before I was disrupted. For us, as you know, Joe, we've been working for the last few years on the concept of pre-resilience. And I, I look at pre-resilience as the next step up, which is what are the things we can do now that will actually leave us in a better position wherever possible uh, after this all settles down. And that takes significant forethought, but it also, this is one of the best opportunities we have to build resilience into our people, to develop pre-resilient responses and to adopt real risk management based decisions. And if we're not taking that into account, we're, we're potentially really missing the opportunity to turn the risk into exactly that, an opportunity. Yeah, it is interesting. The, the opportunities that present with this, yeah, essentially someone has, uh, has hit the pause button on, on life as we know it. And uh, the opportunity to create a new culture or new expectation or new norms uh, shouldn't be lost upon us. I mean, this is, there's, there's never been a better time in, in, in recent memory to reprogram and, and restart. Uh, and I think there's a tremendous opportunity there. Yeah, totally agree with you, Joe. And, you know, one of the things we need to be very clear on is we're not saying be irresponsible in terms of managing health risk. In fact, it's totally the opposite. We're saying do all the responsible things first. That is your compliance requirement. The resilience requirement is to make sure that we are strong enough mentally, physically, emotionally, and from a business perspective to keep going with the continued stress we're facing. So there's personal resilience and business resilience. But then there's also that part of pre-resilience around how do we build the skills in ourselves to actually deal with this uncertainty and be able to thrive effectively. Uh, one of the challenges we're already seeing, for example, I was sent an article yesterday about how to make an isolation. We're already seeing a huge upturn in cybercrime and cyber fraud based on COVID response. Our other risks don't go away just because we're dealing with one big risk. In fact, if anything, they get magnified because most of the time people see more opportunity if they have ill intent, or people who feel isolated or desperate will act in more desperate ways. For those of us that are, uh, that are in the risk profession, uh, and I know a number of our listeners are risk managers or security managers or safety managers, uh, and they might feel a little bit neglected at the moment because everyone's focus is on this one particular threat. Uh, and it's just important that we, we don't lose sight of our normal risk uh, and our, our normal our normal day-to-day -day operations because, uh, yeah, those problems don't go away just because there's a new one. Absolutely. And part of the challenge we've got is also something that's referred to as cognitive load. You know, we can only concentrate on so many things at the same time. And right now, everyone is consistently reminded that our focus should be on COVID because that's, that's the big the big ticket item at the moment. But all the other issues are, are as real, in fact, probably more real for most people, a small business owner that may be losing their business, uh, you know, people who are needing services and can't get those services done, th those are gonna become more real threats than getting sick for them very, very quickly. And I think this is a significant challenge for most first world societies around, you know, the consequential second, third and fourth tier effects and how we manage our dynamic risk equilibrium so that the, you know, the uh, treatment itself or the measures we're taking at the moment don't create things that are much worse 
as part of the process. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I've been wondering about is uh, what this looks like when businesses want to pull back some of the controls. So uh, the uh, Prime Minister was talking last night about uh, the reason that, you know, but one of the reasons they haven't closed the schools is that they're looking at every control measure as being potentially six months in duration and we can't have six months of uh, you know, one in two parents essentially not working uh, while, they, while they care for their children. Uh, so there's an economic impact there as well. And I just wonder with business, I mean, uh, there's, there's so many, as you said, have made a knee-jerk reaction and, and not through any fault of their own, but just to you know, to comply with what everyone else is doing, have um, sent workers home. And uh, I, I wonder how that decision is going to be made of when do we bring people back to the workplace and what controls do we need to put in place once they are back? And is everybody going to do it at the same time or is it going to be staggered? How do we make that decision? And I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how that plays out. Absolutely, Joe. And I, th I think this is part of the challenge we should be thinking about uh, actively because if, again, our response is to be effective, then our response at the very least, if, if our, go our goal should be resilience, you know, how do we come back better than we were before? But there's a whole bunch of things that combine to create a resilient output, right? And some of those are things like we need people to be persistent, right? It's not about just washing our hands now. It's about making sure we change our behavior and that we are persistent in the way we apply good behavior. Uh, and this is the same for businesses, right? If we haven't thought about what comes next, how do we know what we're doing now is going to actually be the right thing? We're just going on what we're told to do. Now, what we've been told to do, obviously, it depends from state to state and country to country. But for the most part, it's you know been loosely referred to as social distancing and minimizing uh, contact with others. The short-term benefits are that we should be able to maintain the COVID spread. Long-term risks are immense. The second we disrupt people's uh, human contact, which has already been significantly disrupted based on digital interaction, mm -hmm. we start creating isolation. Once you create isolation, that often leads to depression, and depression leads to all sorts of negative outcomes, whether it's self-harm, harming others, or altogether just giving up on life and needing to become uh, somebody that the state takes care of. These are things that I, I think will start to bubble and probably become as big, if not bigger risks in the longer, in the longer term than dealing with the medical issues we're facing right now. Don't get me wrong, it's hard enough just to deal with what's directly in front of us when our systems aren't aligned to deal with something like COVID that is so catchy and spreads so quickly. But, you know, trying to think through and this, this comes back to the piece of control. There's two types of control. There's real control and perceived control. Perceived control is based on the illusion that we actually are in control. And this has been shattered now by consistent messaging showing that, you know, we're constantly under threat and no matter what you're told, you're still under threat. Yeah. So the, even the illusion of control is almost impossible to achieve until we have enough messaging to counter the negative narrative. The, the big piece we've got now is there are still aspects that we can apply real control over, which is, for example, the output of our staff, the way we engage with our customers, the way we set up our own continuity plans, the way we enact those continuity plans. All of those things are aspects we do control. And that's something from a business perspective, I think we're spending a lot of our time with our clients in trying to help them reframe strategies, develop their compliance and set themselves a framework for resilience. While in the short term, uh, 
our focus is going to be obviously on digital dissemination of information. I, I don't think it will be that long until uh, a more normal kicks back in and people realize that you know small controlled meetings in controlled environments are no are no less risky than having to go to the shopping center to buy food, which might actually be a risky a more risky activity. Absolutely. Uh, well, that, that's a good segue into um, the last question I had for you, uh, and it's it's, it's two pronged. Um, firstly, this is a question that was asked during the webinar: was uh, what are some of the biggest gaps you're seeing in the clients that we're helping through this process? Uh, and uh, the second part, which would be uh, my addition to that, is what are some of the things that that uh, businesses can do now? Um, you know, there's, there is sort of a, a school of thought that the ship has sailed. If you weren't prepared for it, then too bad. You're, you're now dealing with the consequences. And that's, that's a very pessimistic way of looking at the situation. But what are some of the things that businesses can do now to in, improve how they're handling this and how they bounce back from it? How can they be more resilient? But firstly, what gaps are you identifying? Thanks, Joe. Uh, about five questions in one. So let's have yep. a crack at how we go. <laughs> so the, the first part in terms of the gaps we're seeing and I think we need to divide those gaps up between different market segments and the maturity of different businesses and government departments. Uh, very mature business has had pandemic response plans, business continuity plans and risk management processes in place for a long time. The challenge most of these type of organizations are facing is that those plans were academic plans based on what was on paper, not based on what's unfolding now. So what we are seeing at that level is the need to actually make sure plans are actually applicable, not just a piece of paper that, you know, somebody goes, I've got a plan and I've met my compliance requirement and that they're also adaptive for what's going on. And one of the things I find very uh, interesting is that a lot of our clients have uh, based on their own internal limitations, have actually been trying to solve all these problems themselves. And then when they talk to us, or some of them are using other consultants, they sort of go, oh, this is much easier. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of those reasons is simply tunnel vision. Once we become adrenalized, we, we can only see the threat right in front of us. Whereas people who are coming in externally are not blinkered by the same tunnel vision and are able to get things done quicker, more effectively, and in many cases, assist in bringing out real and applicable solutions. For those clients, and there are a few of them we've had a look at who are very mature and have lots of resources. They've, some of them have done an amazing job and are doing an amazing job uh, where we find uh, the gap there is simply in peer review that if you think about a duty of care, worst case scenario, if I said I'm doing everything I can and later on somebody tells me I didn't, the courts will have a long time to pick that apart. Whereas if you've got some external validation as part of your process, uh, to help you identify the gaps, it certainly strengthens your comfort as a mature business in terms of duty of care and response. Um, going down to the next level, which is slightly less mature business with not all the resources. And this is not necessarily tied back to size of business, scale of business or number of employees. We're seeing some pretty big businesses that are making some appalling decisions right now just based on knee-jerk responses. And that goes both ways, where some of them are just continuing on business as usual. Uh, others have gone the other way. So they've been totally risk averse and three weeks ago sent everybody home. And right now they're starting to hurt with almost no productivity and nobody doing work, even though they're supposed to be working from home. 
So I think when you move down to the next level, it's about starting with first and foremost, the compliance based requirements, you know, what are the minimum things I should be putting in place to cover off on my duty of care and my general compliance requirements. Uh, that extends from information protection, information security for remote workers to their safety, um, to protection of information and fraud prevention. So there's a whole bunch of things to consider there, but it's also about the safety and well-being of people. And those that comes back to the points you've seen. What do we actually do if some of our people are sick? You know, when do we tell them to come back to work? What support do we need to provide them? Uh, is a worker working from home who actually does get sick still our responsibility if we've told them to work from home? So part of the challenge we've got with this level is that uh, they, they are doing some stuff, but there, there are significant gaps in what is the right thing to do and how much to do. And I've linked that back to three things, risk appetite, risk tolerance, and risk attitude. If the organization doesn't know what will break it, it's hard for it to figure out how much risk it wants to take. And it's also hard for it to set up a proper attitude approach that is consistent to the way it manages the risks. One of the challenges we're seeing with many of our clients is they're now setting up all these committees, the action responses. And while in many ways that's a great idea because diversity of thinking leads to better outcomes, we're also slow when we rely on committee-based decision-making. So the immaturity in terms of how to manage crises is something we're seeing a lot of at this level. And in many cases, they're making crises for themselves as opposed to actually looking at the situation and coming up with rational, well thought out approaches. The last one I wanna talk about are the, are the ones that are absolutely lost. Okay, businesses and people that have no idea what to do. Uh, one of the things we've tried to do in terms of our offerings is not leave these people out of it. Right now, they're probably stressing about their own business survival. They might not even be bringing any money in. Uh, they've still got to pay staff. So for them to try and understand what they can do in the short term, okay, to actually try and pivot potentially from a business strategy perspective, secondly, take advantage of any government grants or subsidies that may be available. And thirdly, try and just make sure they actually have a plan is really important. Uh, this will pass and things will re resume hopefully better than they were before with a more resilient workforce and a more resilient community. But to get there, there's certainly going to be a lot of pain and challenges along the way. I hope that answers the question, Joe. Yeah, well, that, it really was five questions in one. I think you've done a pretty good job. So uh, <laughs> well done. <laughs> All right, Gav, uh, I think that's a, that's a good note to leave us on. Um, Look, it, it is a tough time. There are challenges ahead. Uh, there are challenges currently, and, and uh, the challenges aren't going to stop anytime soon. But there, there is light at the end, and uh, if we if we're smart about it, we can come out the other end better than we went in. Absolutely, and I think it's also around, you know, we are we are not the first people in human history to be facing challenges, nor will we be the last. Uh, certainly, these challenges are unique based on the global nature of the way we exist today. But we're also very well placed to manage these risks better than our ancestors ever were. We just seem to be using the tools we've got like technology, instant messaging, global supply chains in a way that might actually be contrary to getting the best possible output. And uh, there's, there's gotta be a significant shared ownership around how to move forward if we, if we wanna be able to look back on this and go, yeah, it was a resilient, time for us. We, we, we face certain hardships, but we've come out of it better. Uh, 
wherever possible. So, uh, you know, just to close off from our side, uh, we, we wish everybody a safe and a healthy time within the confines of what's going on. And please do reach out. Uh, our, our business approach is always that of a partner and partners are with, uh, with you, whether it's good or bad. And uh, even if it's just you bouncing something off us, we want to be able to make sure we give you the best possible chance of making through this with the minimum disruption and best possible coping mechanisms in place. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening, everybody. Um, please do let us know, and I'm sure Joe will ask you if there's any other topics or anything you want us to explore more so that we can provide uh, either podcasts or webinars to cover off anything you'd like to know about. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Gav. And anyone that uh, is, is after more information about our uh, services or uh, the, uh, how we can help in this time, uh, head over to www.risk2solution.com. Uh, we've assembled an amazing team of experts from risk, medicine, paramedicine, uh, business continuity and communications to help on every level of response and planning uh, to come out of this resilient and better than before. Thanks again for your time, Gav, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thank you once again to Dr. Gav Schneider. It's always great to hear Gav's detailed thoughts on a subject and especially with the current environment to uh, hear his thoughts on the pandemic uh, and not only what we can do now, but also what we can do to prepare for a bigger and brighter future when all this is over. Thanks once again for listening. If you'd like to hear the or, or view the webinar that we referenced throughout the conversation, it is available at the R2S Academy website, which is www.r2s.academy. Uh, and I'll also include the direct link to the webinar in the show notes if you'd like to just click on it and go straight through. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay pre -zillioned.